We are in a series now called The Marriage Project, and this is the third part in a four-part series. And, uh, you know, this is, it's actually a really cool thing because there's multiple churches all around our city that are doing this same sermon series. Obviously, the content's going to vary from place to place, but the titles are the same of the, the topics are the same. So it's really a beautiful sign of unity that as multiple churches all around our city are coming together and we're going to say we're going to pray and invest in our marriages as a church and as a city. So uh, exciting thing there for us. So Jamie uh, started off a couple of weeks ago by tackling the topic of does marriage really matter anymore? And all of these topics are really, what they're about is they're about questions that as a people the world is asking. Those who are around us, our neighbors, our co-workers, the people around us every day are asking these types of questions. So we started off by saying, does marriage really matter? And then last week, Jamie tackled the question, uh, what do you do when the feelings change? Very relevant question. Today, we get the opportunity to dive in to a question, what should we do when we just can't get along. All right? It's going to be fun. We get to talk about conflict. Who's re- who had some conflict this week? Just just give a shout out. Who Woo! We all love that conflict. Come on. The Bible talks about it, says that it brings his character in us. So, it's right for us to cheer, though it's hard for us to cheer, isn't it? All right. So, you know, this, type, this uh, series is called The Marriage Project, but really, if we want to boil it down to, to, to what we're really talking about, what we're really talking about is healthy relationships. We're talking about relationships that are all around us. So whether you're married, single, divorced, old, young, middle-aged, and everything in between, this is for us because we live with people. We work with people. We interact with people. We're in a room full of people right now. And we need to know how to walk in godly relationships, relationships that that model what the kingdom of God looks like. That's his heart for us. And he gave us great instructions. So, you know, some of our greatest struggles in life come when we have gotten into some type of a conflict and we just, we can't seem to find a way out whether it's at work or in, in the home, whatever it might be, there's, there's some type of unresolved conflict that comes up and we don't know how, the way to find peace. You know, here's an interesting fact. One of the top reasons why church planners, why missionaries will leave the field, you'd think maybe it's education for the kids or difficult working, uh, living uh, conditions or uh, things like that, but it's team conflict. One of the top reasons, and some of the studies say the very top reason, the number one reason. We want to learn how to live and interact with people and even do conflict in a healthy way. And yes, conflict can be healthy, right? All right, so Laura, my wife, who is the pastoral care director for our missions arm, the uh, Share Life Now International, SLNI, she and I will team teach a uh, team training to in our church planning training school. And uh, that team training is based on a book called Relate. And we've just taken those lessons that actually came out of our movement. That book was written by a couple of folks in our movement. 
And uh, this, so relates the name of the book. The subtitle of that book is How to Not Be a Jerk. <laughs> Pretty straightforward, right? So what we're going to do here today is we've got the title of What Should We Do When We Just Can't Get Along? Subtitle, How to Not Be a Jerk. All right, can we agree to that? Is that all right? Okay, you know, I'm actually, I'm kind of an expert at this topic of being a jerk. I, I'm really good at it. I seem to have had from the very beginning, from my birth, a natural inclination to making people mad, to being a jerk. I seem to, you know, my parents, it started with my parents. They started to, to tell me as I grew up, hey, James, you, you can't hit your sister. Under subtitle, stop being a jerk, right? Yeah, hey, James, you, you can't speak that way to your mom and dad. That's not okay. Subtitle, stop being a jerk, right? Then it goes on. So it goes from childhood. Now I, I grow up and I go into college and I get roommates. Roommates. Anybody want to shout out? Got a witness over there? Yeah, there's two of them right there. That is a purifying opportunity, sanctification in action. So roommates, I, you know, I grew up, I have an older sister, so my whole life I was in a room by myself. Now I get into college and I'm forced to live with this other human that is such a slob. I remember one guy, I, my junior year, I would walk in in the afternoon from class and he really had issues. I mean, this guy. So I would walk in, and I don't know how he did it, but he would throw all his clothes, were all his clothes were all over the floor, all. So I would just walk in, open the door, and just start kicking, and it would all go under his bed. And that's how I, you know, did the day. It was like a cycle, a little routine, a little purification process for my soul, learning how to get along with others. In that case, he was being the jerk, but I love him. All right, so we go from childhood into, into college. Now, now I, I go into the next season of my life. How did I discover that I can be a jerk sometimes? Marriage. I got married. 2002. Actually, it'll be 14 years on Wednesday. So I'm fired up about that. We're going to have a great time. So marriage. And Laura, in all her generosity and kindness... She bestowed upon me on a daily basis sometimes the, the uh, revelation that I, in fact, can be a jerk. She would just so kindly and generously give me this counsel. And I learned in new ways that I had never learned before that I can be a jerk. Now, finally, and those parents out there can testify to this, I got kids. Eleven years ago, we just celebrated my oldest daughter's birthday a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and when I just started to see these kids grow up, and they started to have the same sin patterns that I have in my life, it was like the ultimate slap in the face of my ego, going, wow, I'm broken. And I want to lead my family towards healthy relationships. You know, all of this is, as I was walking in life-giving community, that's where I discovered this about myself. That's where the blind spots were pointed out to me, is when I was in, in a home 
As a child, I grew up in a life-giving community where I was told that this is not going to be okay. And then in college, and then in marriage, and now, and now in our family now with our kids, it's this life-giving community that, that helped me to see that in fact I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. I have blind spots. But it also helped me to see that there is another way of doing things, empowered by the Holy Spirit, where I can actually be a representation of the kingdom of God in my family, in my working relationships, in this city, and around the world. So my prayer for us today is that no matter who you are and what your situation is, and this room is filled with all kinds of situations, all kinds of stories, all kinds of hurt, but that no matter where you're at in your journey, that you would walk away from this equipped by the Word of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in a new freedom as we look at healthy relationships. So the main thing today is that God is teaching us to walk in healthy relationships and resolve our conflicts through emotionally healthy habits and sharpening community. All right, let's pray. Lord, we are looking to you right now, and we, we love that you, Jesus, came and you showed us what God is really like, what the Father looks like. And so we look to you right now, and we, we look to your model and your example, and we want to walk in your ways. I ask God that you would open up our eyes to see more of you right now as we open your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, so open up your Bibles, if you would, with me to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And join with me as I read. Do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. All right, so what is Jesus wanting to teach us here this morning about healthy relationships and about what do we do when we just can't get along. So first of all, and if you're a notes person, you've got that in your bulletin as well as on the app. First point, first deal with the plank in our own eye. Deal with the plank in our own eye. So this might seem like something so obvious. Yes, of course. Thank you for that revelation, James. But it's so hard to do, and that's why we've got to unpack it, okay? So I've been reading an author lately that Jamie had mentioned a few weeks back as well. His name is Peter Scazzaro. He's a pastor at a local church, but he's also become quite an expert in emotional health. And the reason that he got to that place was because he came to such a place of brokenness that he, he needed to learn more and grow in this area of emotional health. So it, it, he came to a place where he was, 
He was afraid of the opinions of people about him in his church. He he wanted to people please all the time. He didn't feel like he could say no to things. He had to fill his schedule up and say yes to everything. There was just story after story of times where he just felt completely beaten down because he wasn't at a place where he felt like emotionally he could handle rejecting somebody or taking rejection. So he came to this place of brokenness. And there, out of that, he began to grow and learn. And so I would highly recommend any of his books. He, uh, the Emotionally Healthy Church might be a great spot to start. There's a, there's a whole list of them, though. So, you know, he argues that it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Okay, so he goes on and he talks about that he believes that Emotional health is a missing component in, in uh, Western Christianity today in our discipleship, in our discipleship process. So as we're growing as believers, we focus heavily and rightfully so on the Word of God. But this, what we're missing, and we, we, they end up focusing on knowledge and, and rights and wrongs and things like that. What is Jesus doing? But this is full of emotional health as well. It's full of how do we deal with conflict? How do we deal when, our, when things are hard in those most stressful moments? How do we deal with, with it in our marriage when we just can't seem to get along? It's full of that good in, uh, counsel. So Schizero goes on and he lists the top 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. <clears throat> so here are just a few. We're not going to list all 10. Here's just a few of them using God to run from God. So pointing the finger at God and saying, you did this to me, I'm running away from you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We see it all the time, maybe in our own lives. Ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, or fear. So as believers in the Western world, we like to sweep under the carpet, especially before we walk through these doors, any other emotion other than a smile, right? Now, I'm not, joy is great. I'm all about joy. I want to do this life with joy. I want to do it with a big smile. But the fact is, is that we have things that come along that make us angry, sad, and afraid. And we don't want to sweep those things under the rug or they're going to fester. Denying the past's impact on our present. So those things, those experiences from our past and how they affect us now. Doing for God instead of being with God. We have a performance mentality. We want to do something for him. And in fact, we think it is going to earn us approval. Spiritualizing away conflict. So this is where you, you might blame it. The conflict that you're having, you might blame it on spiritual warfare or something else. Well, okay, spiritual warfare might be a part of the problem, but it also might be a problem that I was just manipulative or passive-aggressive. That might be the problem. Does that make sense? So we spiritualize away the conflict, but in reality, there might actually be an issue with me. Covering up our brokenness, weakness, and failure. So we love, again, we love to sweep those things under the rug. Living without limits. So that's what we were talking about before with Peter Scazzaro, not having boundaries. I know what my field is to work, and I'm going to work this field. This is what God's given me, and I'm happy. I'm content. Judging other people's spiritual journeys. 
So the fact is, guys, is that we're really complicated people that have come from complicated pasts and complicated families. And those families who raised us are complicated people who came from complicated pasts with a complicated family themselves. And you can see this thing just keeps compounding and becoming increasingly complicated. And that's us. And it's, it's beautiful. And God made things this way. And he comes in and he wants to reconcile. All of us have emotionally unhealthy habits that manifest themselves in various times and ways throughout our days, weeks, and months. And these habits lead us down pathways towards unhealthy conflict or destructive behaviors. Many of these emotionally unhealthy habits come from fears, anxieties, and insecurities. So, and, and then most often those fears, anxieties, and insecurities are actually places where we're not trusting God. I know this is a bummer. We're about to get to the hope, okay? But these places of fear, anxiety, and insecurity are actually places of where we're not trusting God. So here's a biblical example of that. Jacob, who had a, a twin brother, Esau, he seemed, Jacob seemed to have this complex about being second born. And it says that even as he was being born, he was grabbing at the heels of his older brother. He seemed to, and then all through life, he kept, he manipulated him at one point over a pot of stew. And then finally, this ultimate kind of stab in the back, he deceived his father, his blind father. This is all in the, with the help of his mother, which is a whole other kind of, again, we're complicated. And he, and he, he deceived his father and took from his brother the blessing of the eldest son. So he seemed to have this, he worked and functioned out of insecurity. He was functioning out of that rather than out of a place of peace. I'm good with being second born. That's what God gave me and I'm good with it. I believe Jesus is encouraging us that to have healthy relationships and healthy conflict, we first need to deal with these planks in our eye, these places of insecurity, fear, and anxiety. We need to be self-aware, knowing our weaknesses and our sin patterns, and being aware of those things. And that comes with time. So let's get practical. What does this look like? How do we become more self-aware, more aware of these things? Starts, and you'll get tired of us saying this from this pulpit, it starts with meeting with Jesus. It starts with meeting with Jesus. It's the greatest thing, as Jamie says, the greatest pastoral advice that we can ever give. So we start by meeting with Jesus, and this is not a one-time moment. This is, over, this is a continuous. And so we go into that and we ask him, Father, what's, what's the place where I need to grow the most? And be willing to hear the answer. Or Father, what are those planks in my eye? Next, we want to ask those who are closest to us. If you're married, I really would encourage you to start with your spouse. It'll bring healing to places in your marriage. If you go, would you just tell me and ask this question? It's a little cheesy, but it's going to help you remember it. What's it like to be on the other side of me? You ask that question, it's going to be really helpful in your marriage. And you're going to get feedback that you need to hear, that I need to hear. 
Finally, and we'll be talking about this more in the next point, but as you realize what these planks are and you begin to get this understanding, then, then go to a friend or two. Start with your spouse, again, if you're married, but get a couple of friends around you, preferably in life group, and ask them, would you pray for me? And would you hold me accountable? Would you ask me about this next week? So a lot of times we get a revelation, we get an understanding, but then we don't do anything with it and we, it, it, we lose it. We want to ask our friends to hold us accountable. We're going to be talking more about that here in a second. But here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus came to deal with our sin and our brokenness and our weakness. He came and he, what we just saw in baptism is a beautiful representation of it. Where, where, and just as Randy said, it's like a funeral and a wedding. So he came and he buried in the grave, those sins and weaknesses and actually the power of evil because of the resurrection has become, has been rendered useless. It is no longer, it no longer has power over us. And this is something that we need to hear when we get into those habitual things and we're like, ah, I just did it again. Just say it. You don't have power over me. That no longer has power over me. Here's the thing though. When spiritually he dealt with it, it's done. It's a finished deal. Victory is declared. We just finished worshiping about that. But now we got to work it out. We got some habits that we got into because of these sin patterns and these things that we started to think about ourselves and about others and about God. And now we got to work it out. So it's about habits getting changed. That's why spiritual disciplines, which we just went through a series on, is so important because we've got to. When we feel like it and when we don't, we meet with Jesus and we declare truth over ourselves and over our family and whatever. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is where we get into this next uh, step here. Once we've seen the plank in our own eye, or for, at least for me, it's planks, plural. So uh, next, we humbly sharpen one another in community. We humbly sharpen one another in community. So... We're going to reread a couple of verses just to refresh our memory here. Matthew 7, verse 4 and 5. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So today, or this week, I was discussing this passage with a friend, we were walking through doing a Discovery Bible study lesson on Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And uh, just a little side note, Discovery Bible study, we call it DBS, is a, is a tool that we highly recommend. That if you're wanting to function in, in some discipling relationships through your life group or however that might look, getting together with some guys at work or some girls at work, then this is a great tool. So look for it on your website as well as on the app. <clears throat> Do you like that plug, little commercial? All right, it's good stuff. So I was discussing that this week with uh, a friend of mine, and we were talking about, you know, it's this passage, if you read it wrong, you could think all this is is about me figuring out my planks and not about the other, the other part of it, which is that when we really can see clearer when we realize that we have planks in our eyes, we have stuff in us, and we need our brother and our sister to point out the speck in our eye. We need it. 
We, we're going to hurt. If we have that speck in our eye, we're going to hurt and nobody tells us about it. It's called blind spots. You would think that we would be self-aware enough, but the fact is, is we're not and we need one another. We have been created for community. What Jesus is teaching us here is that if we first recognize our weaknesses and begin to deal with them, then, and then when we see that speck in our friend's eye, we're going to approach them so much different. It's going to be a different deal. We're going to approach them with humility and grace. It's going to be a safe place. You know, one thing I tell my kids, and I pray that it's true, as I'll tell them, I want our home and our family to be a safe place to mess up because I want them to be able to approach me, especially when they're teenagers, but all, all through their life, to come to me and say, I messed up, and I want to be a safe place. And fa- the Father is a safe place, and He's teaching us how to be that for one another, right? So, you know, the thing is, though, is that we'll, we'll often leak this revelation that we're frail and weak, right? We, so, you know, imagine with me that, uh, uh, you know, I, I go into uh, the, the um, go and have a quiet time, meet with Jesus, and I'm repenting and, and just, you know, really realizing my frailty and my weakness. And within 10 minutes, somebody's disobeying in the house or and, you know, whatever, there's anxiety because we're late for school, and I'm, I'm suddenly, my weakness and frailty is out the window. All I'm wanting to know is why they're not obeying. Why are we not obeying? Now, it's okay to be a, a firm father, but we, we, want, to, we want to be people who, who remember our frailty and our weakness so that when we see that we've got this plank in our eye, it just changes the way we approach others in their weakness and in their frailty. You know, um, Jesus teaches us to continually be reminded of that plank that's in our eye. And, to make, and then this makes it to where we are approachable to others, forgiving to others, and can genuinely help others with that speck. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather... Think of yourself with sober judgment. And this is all, Romans 12 is the context of worship and then us coming together as the body of Christ. So that the gifts that each one of us have are unique. And if we look at them individually, we might think they're colliding. But when we look at it collectively, we see that we are moving towards something beautiful together. So don't, we cannot think of ourselves more highly than, I, than we ought but rather we think of ourselves with sober judgment. Does that relate into marriage? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I want to assume the best about Laura. I want to assume the best about her motives. I want to think of myself with sober judgment and not assume the worst about her and the best about me, but assume the best about her and we will be able to find peace. All right, so here's some practical steps that I want to encourage you guys to write down. I think this is practical steps for all of this. How do we work this out? So number one is to recognize, own, and work on our own planks. Okay. 
So first it starts with recognizing, like we talked about, we get alone with God, we meet with Him, and we realize some things. We get to with others, those who are closest to us, we, we, we find out what are those planks, what are those areas, and then we own it. So what this means is that it's, we're, this is not somebody else's fault that I am this way. I'm not a victim of anything other than just sin. I'm not a victim. I own my problems. It's not Laura's problem, it's my problem. And then I work on it together in community, in my marriage, in church, in life group. Right? The second thing is the only person that you can change is you. Now this one's freeing for me, guys. I hope it sets home here today. The only person that I can change is me. When I come home, and, you know, this is completely hypothetical because I don't think Laura has ever sinned. I think she's perfect. But it, let's just say that she, I come home and she's had a hard day. And I just, and she's spouting off to me about rah, rah, this and that and whatever. And I can see the funky perspective all over her, right? I can see the sin. It is not my job to change it. It is not my, it is not within my realm of authority to change her. Does that make sense? The only person that we have power to change is ourselves. And flip it on its other side, I come home, which never happens, right? Never, we don't ever come home with a grumpy attitude. I'm funky, I'm spouting off lies. She does not have the, the need to try to change me. But what she can do is she can partner with God in what he's doing in my life. She can look, how is God working in his life right now? Because really, that change is up to me and God. The change is not up to her and God and me. It's up to me and God. She can come and partner with him, though, because that's what he does. That's what he loves to do with us. He loves for us to partner with him. So we can only change ourselves. God has given us authority, but it's over us it's over me. I have authority. If somebody wants to stand up right now on their chair and dance like a monkey, you can. You will get escorted out of the building. But you can do it. We have authority over our bodies, right? We can do what we'd like to do. But nobody else has that authority over us. And this is freedom for us, guys, if we see this in our marriages and in our relationships. And then the third and final thing is we need one another. We need one another. So I'm shamelessly going to say that we need to be in life groups. They're, they're, we need to be in those types of relationships where we can ask one another difficult questions about how we're doing in life and ultimately hold each other accountable in different areas of growth. Does that make sense? We need one another. So you guys... But we're going to respond to the Lord. So if you would, just go ahead and stand up. So this is just a time that we like to take because we want to respond to what the Lord's saying to us. You know, it's important for us to, to respond quickly. So in the moment when he's saying something to us, it's like a father saying, you know, when I say to my kids, girls, it's time to make your bed. And they tell me, I'll do it tomorrow. I don't need it tomorrow. I need it today. Today is when the word is. That's when the word has come. 
The word is for today. So what's he saying to us today? And we want to respond to him. So if you guys would, just close your eyes. And we just want to take, just pause for a moment and listen to the Lord. And just ask him a question. Father, what are you calling me to today?